Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 72. Just watching episode 72, Spider-Man Homecoming. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we are talking today about the movie Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> I think it's my new favorite. <laughs> oh, it's definitely, uh, I, I want to say that it's the best movie in MCU thus far. Uh-huh. But I haven't gone back and watched a lot of the other ones, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. This, of course, Spider-Man's my favorite character of all of Marvel Comics. Um, there's a couple that are coming in close seconds nowadays that I've actually introduced myself to other characters. But growing up, Spider-Man was always my favorite. And I love his sense of humor and the fact that he, he's cracking one-liners pretty much all the time. As he's, you know, roping up bad guys, or I should say, webbing up bad guys. Um, and he's an intelligent superhero. He's not all brawn. So I, I like intelligent superheroes. That, that man is no brawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least in the movie, he doesn't look it, but he is like wiry. Very, yeah. very wiry. He would have to be to swing from webs all over the place. Yeah, he's... Uh, I saw a couple videos, you know, the Easter eggs and everything. Uh-huh. And uh, he's actually quite a gymnast. It looks like it, yeah. It, he's, he did a lot of the, the gymnastics part of his stunts by himself. Yeah. Pretty, f pretty fascinating to watch. We might be getting a little ahead of ourselves here because... Yeah, true. <laughs> we are in the spoiler-free section, so we are not going to, at least for the first few minutes, not spoil anything. However, I really strongly encourage you to have seen Captain America, The Civil War, before going right. to see this movie. At least, if you haven't watched any of the other MCU movies, you're in trouble because Spider-Man is, this, this Spider-Man is part of the MCU. So mm -hmm. it, it's not a standalone. You got to know the characters. You got to kind of know what's going on. Well, I think you can come in not knowing the characters, although, frankly, I have difficulty imagining somebody being able to. <laughs> Uh, you might you might as well say you know he comes in not knowing what a cheeseburger is. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, there there's some setup that kind of I think goes before this. Number one, you yeah. have to know about what happened during the at the end of the Avengers movie because there's a beginning. The beginning of Spider Man touches on an, something that occurred right after that mm -hmm. before Spider Man's on the picture, and then they give you like an eight. This has happened right after that, and then eight years later, this is happening. And yeah. and then the begin the next part of the movie is a flashback to a segment of Captain America: The Civil War from Spider Man's point of view. Yeah, so it's kind of fun to see it if if you've already seen the other movie that it's kind of see fun to see his point of view of it. 
Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if any one of our listeners happens to see Spider-Man without having seen any of the MCU stuff. I'd be interested in their their take on coming into it cold turkey. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I would be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, there might be some Spider-Man fans out there that were just waiting for the Spider-Man movie, you know, and yeah. not realizing that it was going to be in the middle of a lot of other things going on. This was actually the first... Uh, dedicated superhero movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that did not start with an origin story. Right. And and, and that's uh, because they introduced him in Captain America Civil War, so they didn't need to do the origin story. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, uh, the origin of Spider-Man is sort of ubiquitous by this point. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk about that later because um, it's going to come up in our discussion. The other thing I wanted to mention is that we want we are encourage everybody, if you haven't already seen the movie, to check out the PluggedIn.com's review of it. They mm-hmm. actually list all the bad stuff, which we may or may not discuss because that's not really what we're about right. for the most part. Um, so definitely we're going to put the link in our show notes, but go check that out. Um, I'm assuming most people will have seen the movie before they listen to our review because it's been out for like two weeks when we're recording this. So, yeah, um, we're a little late to the game. Everybody else's, uh, Spider-Man stuff is already out. Yeah. We, we had to juggle, uh, quite a bit to get to the movie and then get to the recording. So (laughs) I've already said that Spider-Man is my favorite superhero and, I, I do have to mention that I am not one of those nitpickers who makes Spider-Man, you know, I have this really high level of quality that it must meet to make me happy. I liked all the Spider-Man movies simply because they were Spider-Man movies and I was excited to have Spider-Man on the big screen and I didn't care <laughs> how accurate it was or anything like that. This one is definitely a departure, I think, from what most people expect Spider-Man to be, but in the end, it may not be as much of a departure as the Tobey Maguire movies were. Yeah. You know, when it comes to comic book characters, they reinvent the comic book character so many times. And Spider-Man's <laughs> been around since 60s? Yeah. 62, I think. So in nearly 50 years. Well, they have to because culture keeps changing years. them. I mean, it's yeah. like you've got a Spider-Man with a cell phone now. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing and... I only want to touch on this briefly because it's not a huge deal to me, but I noticed that there was, you know, the the diversity stuck out to me in the cast. And that was only because it was so different from what you expected the characters to be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like things that throw me out of the movie. And this was one thing that threw me out because it's like, oh, they've, they've thrown in all their token minority groups into this group. And... I'm not saying I'm not saying it necessarily bothered me, but it stood out to me, and be, because it stood out, it bothered me. Yeah. If that makes any oh, sense, I, I respect your opinion, yeah. regardless of how wrong you are. Um, <laughs> I actually liked the diversity. I thought at an inner city school, uh, particularly in New York City and in, in Queens, where I think this takes place, uh, I thought the diversity was a, a perfect fit, mm-hmm. and uh, it actually played. But in- you noticed it. Uh, you know, yeah, I did, but I, <laughs> I noticed it because of, uh, other stuff happening outside of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, um, uh, in my notes, I mentioned, uh, there's a, uh, a thing about Dunkirk, which is this World War, mm-hmm. uh, two movie, which we actually thought about reviewing, but it's coming at an awkward time in the month. Yeah. It's, it, there, people are complaining that it is too white. <laughs> well, it's a- <laughs> 
Why wouldn't it be? Um, I I appreciate that, but it's actually accurate. Yeah, and and when we talked about the live action Beauty and the Beast, that was diversity that would, really didn't fit because it was like this old French village, and they had pretty much every minority group represented, including gays, yeah. and that just didn't fit in that culture, you know. Yeah. Overall, I think this movie had a, you know the that classic teen uh, coming of age story to it that it makes you feel good at the end you know it's kind of like mm-hmm. and i i've never thought of spider-man in that aspect because i really feel like in the comics that he was older when he became a spider-man than he's portrayed in this movie but it does kind of mm-hmm. give a different feel um because even I, I think like in the toby mcguire and andrew garfield's movies uh he, he was uh, in high school but he was an older teen and mm-hmm. usually when I think of Peter Parker, it's as the photojournalist and the scientist and yeah. not, not the teenager in high school. That's, I actually, I'm the other way on that one, too, where I think of him as being the 15-year-old in high school when he uh, is bitten by the, uh, by the radioactive spider and gains his spider-like powers. Yeah. Um, I, just, I think that Tom Holland plays a young kid better than Garfield or... Toby Maguire. Maguire. <laughs> can't even think you. of his name. <laughs> it's, it's not like I just heard his name like four times. Because um, Holland looks younger and he he plays younger. Plus, uh, I, I don't know how much of it was acting choice and how much of it direction, was direction. Mm-hmm. But he comes across in Homecoming as an honest-to-goodness uh, you know, 14, 15-year-old, he's 15 in the movie, but, uh, you know, just barely 15-year-old kid. Yeah. And uh, that was actually one of the things that really endeared me to this movie was how well it does uh, the age. Because it actually plays into the themes that we'll talk a little about after the spoiler <laughs> section. Yes. So I give this like a Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink kind of vibe, but modern, mm. not... 80s tripe and there is some special appearances of captain america (laughs) that are absolutely (laughs) hilarious that the people that i went to the movie with um at least one of them her favorite in marvel comics character is captain america so you know i kind of twisted her arm to make her come to spider-man with me and then she got payback because captain america (laughs) does appear in in the movie it never occurred to me that in the reality of the MCU that uh, Captain America would would be doing this type of uh, public service. <laughs> yeah, but it makes perfect sense. Yes. It really does. It does. Yeah, and and that's, that's why how, that's how his career started. After all, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and it fits so well because I. I anybody who's been in public high school knows those stupid little videos they make you watch. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is 20 years ago for me, but when we were in the military and stationed over in Germany, uh, we had Armed Forces Network was our uh, our primary source of television. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have real commercials. They didn't have product commercials or anything like that. They played in the space of the commercial break, which they left at its regular space. Mm-hmm. They played PSA after PSA after PSA. <laughs> some of them were from the states, and some of them were done by the local public affairs uh-huh. office. Yeah, and every single one of them were at least as bad <laughs> as the ones in this movie. 
Yeah. Pr- Production-wise, you know what I mean. Yes, it's, yes, yes. It, I, you can't have Captain America and call it really bad. <laughs> yeah, um, that was just a nice touch, and it makes it feel more high schoolish, I guess. And yeah, yeah. The last thing that I wanted to give, and and this isn't something wrong with the movie. It's just something that, you know. I think I've mentioned in previous episodes that I've really gotten to enjoy and love uh, the Daredevil uh, series Mm. on Netflix. And if you read any of the Daredevil graphic novels or comics or whatever you want to call them, um, Spider-Man appears a lot with Daredevil. They are like best friends and they're always hanging out together because they fight so similarly. And I, to be honest, I think Spider-Man's the only one who could double as Daredevil if he ever needed somebody to like fill in for him. Um, Funny you should say that. There's actually there's actually storyline where uh, the Iron Fist fills in as Daredevil. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I can see that sort of, but he doesn't have Spidey six sense, and you'd almost have yep. to 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 play off yeah. the the radar thing ability that Daredevil has because he can't yeah, see. You, would. you know, the speaking of spider sense, you really don't see that much yeah. in this movie. But it was mentioned in a couple of the things you know that I watched. Yeah. I guess it's just assumed, so they don't talk about it. But honest, I would really love to see Spider-Man in Daredevil or Daredevil in Spider-Man, one or the other. But I do realize they have set this up where they are not um, parallel time frames. So yeah. I, I may have to be disappointed on that. Yeah, I guess the MCU isn't really keeping up with the... Uh... Uh, or rather, I guess the Netflix series are not keeping up with the timeline because the the Marvel movies have moved are on. <laughs> yeah they're they're pretty much keeping in line with the year that they come out right, right? yeah sort of but because this but, it, uh, the vast majority of the Spider Man takes place eight years after Avengers right right but the Daredevil even the second season happened almost immediately after the first season even though there was. I want to say I think was it was even like a more summer. than a year, right? I, no, I think it was like a, a few months because... Was it? Yeah, I think it was after um, Wilson Fisk had been sent to jail, but before mm-hmm. his trial or after oh, yeah. his trial or something like that. I, I, I agree. It would be nice to see Tom Holland, Spider-Man, even make a cameo in... As a younger in, kid uh, or any something. Any of the Defender yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. And And of course, we're recording this almost exactly a month from when the defenders comes out on Netflix and I'm so mm. excited about that. I'm hoping that I'm it, looking forward to it. Yeah, too. I'm I'm hoping it's good because my anticipation has been built way too big. I like the ensemble movies. I'm looking forward <laughs> to Defenders. Yeah. And really almost all the MCU movies now are ensembles because in this movie we see Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Captain America. <laughs> And in Captain America's well, yeah. last movie, we saw pretty much the entire cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. It's because there are, and you see these in the commercials where he's watching on his laptop mm-hmm. uh, personal recordings he did of the Civil War battle at the airport. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was thinking Captain America in the PSAs. That's not really seeing Captain America. But... <laughs> well, he's not fighting. That's true. But... Yeah. He's fighting but he makes, ignorance. He makes an appearance in the movie several times. True. But yeah, I, this is really kind of an ensemble between Iron Man and Spider-Man with the focus on Spider-Man. And I appreciate that because Robert Downey Jr., I think, is the glue that holds the MCU together right now. And uh. because every movie that Iron Man's in, if you've tried to picture 
the movie without Iron Man or without Tony Stark, it, I don't think it would work. So I, I think that, that he's kind of the glue. And, and the fact that he has introduced Spider-Man into the Avengers, it, it makes it nice to have him in there. I think we're going to see that all change come uh, Infinity War Part 2. But that's still, you know, two years away. So <laughs> doesn't do any good to speculate. They can't keep it going forever. Eventually, they're going to have to wrap all of this stuff up because the actors will outgrow their parts and people will not mm -hmm. want to um, see different actors in those parts. So they're going to have yeah. to wrap it up eventually. There are a couple of different directions they can take that, but we're talking about Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Spider-Man's now part of the MCU, so, you know. And, and, and we don't want to step on Welcome to Level 7's toes here. No, you... no, no, no. Yeah, that, that's if, if you haven't checked out the other Noodle Mix uh, podcasts, we do have a nice podcast that spends a lot of time talking about. Yeah, I, I want to say that they're pretty much dedicated to MCU. Yes, yes. They have taken a couple rabbit trails. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have to check out Welcome to Level 7 uh, if you are enjoying this discussion, because we need to get back to Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So what I liked about Spider-Man Homecoming was actually one of the things that made this uh, a harder recording session to prepare for, and that's that it doesn't really have any significant worldview content. Yeah. It really is just growing up. And we've got some themes to discuss. Don't, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it and probably go yeah. over time on this one, too. <laughs> I feel like it didn't step you on any toes. got what you wanted and you didn't get any you think you extra stuff yeah. stuffed under the door. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no pamphlets under the, the windshield wipers when you come out of the theater. Yeah. Nothing like yeah. that. Yeah. And, you um, know, I only took like – and, and this is – uh, theater writing where I can't see where I'm writing and I write big and skip a lot oh. of lines. I only took a page and a half of notes, which I normally yeah. take four or five in a theater. You mentioned earlier, this really is a coming of age story and they mm -hmm. did they did a really good job with it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the only, uh, he only really grapples with one major concept through the movie, which we'll get to in a, a couple minutes. Um, and it's not a concept that is in question. You know, everybody who goes to see Spider-Man expects this question, this concept to come up. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a staple of it. Right. Um, but uh, as far as coming of age goes, the actors uh, all did spectacular jobs playing kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems to be this, this thing that we have where whenever we make a teenage film that we always get 20-somethings to play the teenagers. And I understand why they do that, because your teenage years are your most awkward years, and it's probably mm -hmm. hard to act out a role when you don't even know yourself at that point. But, yeah. you know, in this, like you said, this cast did it well. Um, they obviously touched, you know, tapped into their teenage side and, and played the roles very well. It yeah. felt like a real high school. Yeah, it it really did, and the, for me, the diversity played into that. Um, I liked how they used the relationships that Peter has. They actually used them uh, not as just window dressing or or as a crutch or anything, but they used it to inform the story. Mm -hmm. And um, I I thought that they did a really good job with that. The only other uh, you know initial comment that I had was I think that the real villain of the movie was Tony Stark's handyman happy. <laughs> Bodyguard. Bodyguard. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he changes roles. 
the head of security. Um, uh. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know he's actually played by John Favreau. Favreau? Mm-hmm. Um, but he directed the original Iron Man. That's the director. Mm-hmm. But uh, if he had just been a little more attentive, <laughs> we wouldn't have had a movie. So I guess I'm okay with yeah. that now that I think about it. <laughs> and you had written in here that, do you know that Rescue the Cat is a thing? <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, there's a scene early on where he ends up rescuing a cat from a fire. Yeah. And one of the videos that I was watching later on commented on it being a trope and i was like i didn't know it was a trope and then i thought back to all the superhero movies that i've watched <laughs> and one that stood out was the incredible oh, that's the one i was thinking <laughs> <laughs> like sli- rips the tree out by its roots like, <laughs> trying to get the cat out. shakes the cat out like it's like it's i want to say a, a booger stuck on your finger or something <laughs> But it really it turns out it's it's a thing and it it's supposed to serve a, a the specific purpose of uh informing the viewer about the true nature of the uh the hero's character. Mm-hmm. Uh you see him rescue a cat and you go, "Oh, well that obviously is a good person." Yeah, and he helps a little old lady, he gives her directions and <laughs> but she gave him a churro. So it was yeah, an exchange. Yeah, it was an even exchange, so. Oh, that was a spoiler. <laughs> Oh, not a big one. I don't think anyone's going to worry about that. It was oh, actually, okay. and I think it was fairly early in the movie, too. So <laughs> now we've almost gone like 30 minutes into this podcast. And I haven't mentioned yeah. the music. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> this, the, the soundtrack, the score was by our good old friend, the guy I can't sit, never say his name right, Michael <laughs> Giacchino or Guacchino. <laughs> Michael Guacamole. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, he does all the Disney movies, and uh, for some reason, he did this one as well. It's it's actually a decent soundtrack, and yeah. and it starts out with his uh, I guess homage to uh, the TV show Spider Man and the theme song of the yeah da 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 da. da. Yeah, he worked that in really well. Yes, and um, but gonna play a little bit of the score just so you can get a feel for it it wasn't a spectacular piece of music but it's fun and it fit the movie so what can you say And that's really all I have to say about the music because, like I just said, it it fits the movie. Uh, yeah. Nothing spectacular, but it it um, didn't stand out as being awkwardly wrong. So, I, you know, since I've started doing these recordings with you, I've become more sensitive to the music in in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to admit that with this one, I really wasn't paying attention. I was, yeah, I was so intent on watching the action on the screen. Yeah. But, you know, the opening and closing, he definitely nailed. So yes. I thought it was a good job. Yes. To me, a good soundtrack it melds so seamlessly with the movie that you don't notice it. Because you'll notice a bad soundtrack long before you'll notice a good one. Simply because it's yeah. like, it's awful, you know. If, if it's setting the stage and filling the holes properly, it should be almost camouflaged by the action of the movie. And in this case, it was. So it was a yeah. good score. Now, I think we should end our no spoiler because it's getting really hard to talk about this movie without spoiling something. Yeah, even the churro. Wow. (laughs) Gonna get hate mail about that one, I'll tell Uh, you what. 
But so let's put in the spoiler warning here and everything from this point on. If you haven't seen it, we're going to wreck it for you. Yeah, You're going to wish you had watched the movie before you turned on this podcast. Yeah, because there are some gaspers in this one. <laughs> Uh, at least at least one of them everybody in the theater went (gasps) (laughs) yeah and you're gonna get it right into that yeah actually i am so there were a couple themes that i specifically wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. and uh spider-man homecoming really is a a coming of age movie like we talked about but they did so well dealing with the specific issues that you have growing up as a as a middle teen and uh, growing into your early 20 years. And one of the things that I think they did really well was they put in three characters who play specific parental type roles for Peter Parker on different levels. Um, Aunt May is in there. And uh, and I disagree with you on one of these, but yeah. <laughs> That's all right. It, it, it's okay to disagree. Yeah. Uh, uh, Aunt May is. It, she does actually doesn't get a lot of screen time in this. Um, but they she shocked, is. They shocked us with her in in Captain America movie, and they, so yeah. I think they played it. They they just kept that shock value going, and that was pretty much her role in in this well, movie. Marissa Tomei. I mean, you can't really go wrong with her, right? <laughs> but she really is the heart of the parental guidance that that peter gets it mm-hmm. when he is crushed uh later on in the movie when he is completely despondent she's there to be a, a shoulder to cry on mm-hmm. uh literally and she provides him with the uh with the advice and when he is getting ready for his first real date she's the one who's you know teaching him dance and and helping mm-hmm. him uh helping him learn how to tie a tie by youtube (laughs) Uh she's the person who raised him so you know there's a lot more to their relationship than makes it on the screen but i thought it it's okay to leave that stuff off because you know it's there right it's the foundation and it's his foundation yeah uh, it's I, you know she's been a single parent since Uncle Ben was killed and and I, did we get a feel for when that happened in this movie? I mean in in this version of Spider Man because I mean you don't know how long he's been with them and you don't know how how long it's been since Ben died because we didn't get the origin story. Yeah, for some reason I want to say that it's mentioned when Stark recruits Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And that was in a... It was all in Civil War. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to go back and watch that one again. Yeah. I think it was mentioned, and I want to say it was within a year and a half. Okay. Uh, maybe two years. Because it's uh, it's after he gets... It, I mean, by, by every telling of the Spider-Man origin story, it's after he gets his powers. Right. And he hasn't had his powers for that long. No, he's and he's only what a sophomore in high school, so he's got. Yeah, a, he's fifteen. He's young. So it really couldn't have been that long ago, could it? No. Have? So maybe there was some angst there that they could have touched on and and chose not to because it would have. Yeah, it would have taken away from the movie if they had. Yeah, spent it would too have muddied the waters. It. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole point was is that we're not doing the origin story, so yeah. we're just going to come in into the middle of their relationship and see them for what they are. Yeah. But. I do feel like I lacked for some details there, but I I can live with it. Yeah, exactly. Aunt May really is. She's the foundational parental figure in the in the film, mm-hmm. um, and she's the one that really you you hear the least from. 
through the course of homecoming. But it, it's okay. Yeah, and and you know what? I think that she comes out in who Peter is, and Peter's yeah. reactions to uh, various stimuli throughout the movie. I think is you know like there's the one quote where he's talking to his friend and he says, you know, Aunt May doesn't know about what that there are people trying to kill me, you know, every night. Mm -hmm. And if she did, she wouldn't let me do it. And so some of it is just the way he reacts to things that that you see her through him. And, you know, I I actually I love that quote, too, because it it really speaks to how much authority he still puts in how much how much gravitas he puts yeah. into Aunt May's opinions and mm-hmm. instructions. Right. Uh, because he's not, I don't know if he will eventually get to that stage, but he isn't at that, uh, I'm going to rebel against everything you say stage. <laughs> yeah. That it seems like all three of my teenagers got to and stayed in. Well, obviously he's not respecting her opinion enough to stay home and not, uh. do, not be <laughs> Spider-Man, but yeah. That's a that is classic teenager though. If yeah. they don't know, they can't forbid it. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't work that way, kids. <laughs> if you know we wouldn't want you to do it, that means we already forbid it. <laughs> That's that knowledge of good and evil thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know you're and doing look, wrong, rebellion. You do it anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so second parental figure in the movie, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, was Tony Stark, mm-hmm. and I think I think it, it was intentionally played that way. Oh, definitely. Um, it's Tony Stark is um, he has provided Spider-Man with an incredibly complicated and way expensive uh, spider suit, which mm-hmm. has you know artificial intelligence and all kinds of things built into it. He is. Pushing for Spider-Man to grow, mm-hmm. for Peter Parker to grow um, through his interaction with Parker as the alter ego as Spider-Man. Yeah, I think I liked I, one of the quotes that comes late, like in the middle of the movie is like where uh, Peter tells Stark that he, I just wanted to be like you. And Tony said, I, <laughs> I wanted you to be better, you know. And yeah. I think his mentoring is, it's very interesting style of mentoring. But yeah, yeah, he definitely plays, if not the father figure, definitely the big brother. Well, you know that wanting your kids to be better is, mm-hmm. is something I think it's safe to say that every parent wants. We all want mm-hmm. our children to succeed in life where we didn't quite make it. And we want them to be better than us, better Christians, better people, mm-hmm. uh, better at their job, better uh, friends, better spouses. And even, you know, we we hold the bar so high for them that it's probably it's probably unhealthy, but I think it's universally unhealthy. So everybody is dealing with the same handicap there. Right. And you almost feel sorry for the kids that don't have parents that have high expectations for them. Oh, no, yeah. Not almost. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Because if you don't have those high expectations, you're not pushed to achieve. And we all do so much more if we just try. And having parents expect that of us, you know, drives us to succeed. Yep. And, you know, Stark up until Spider-Man Homecoming really does seem to be um, 90% carefree with 10% intensity, right? And that seems to play out in Homecoming, but that intensity really comes through. And uh, there's this point uh, about 
two thirds of the way through the movie where he says, what if you got hurt? <laughs> and the way that Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr. delivers that line, it, it really just hit home for yeah. me. This, this you know, kid has it, become his son in many ways. Yeah. yeah. It, he's He's got responsibility and he knows it. Yeah, and I, I know I've already brought it up, but um, I just recently we watched uh, rewatched Iron Man three. And in fact, I just watched it Sunday, so I've seen it since I've seen Spider Man. And one of the things that Iron Man three is my favorite of the three Iron Man movies, and I don't know whether you recall, but there's it, a, that's a, someone with Ben Kingsley in it, right? Yes, but it's the one that has okay. the little boy in it. And ah, uh, yes. And Iron Man or Tony Stark actually um, is transported away from all of his riches and his convenience and his suit is run out of power. So he has to be Tony Stark Mm -hmm. instead of Iron Man. And he runs into this kid and he's very short with the child. And but yet he he, abusively so at the very beginning, in my opinion. Yeah. But there there definitely is this this relationship building there that that you kind of get this feeling that. Stark doesn't know how to work with kids, but he can connect with them on a on an intellectual level because, you know, this kid's kind of an inventor and, and he cr- yeah. critiques his inventions and stuff. They sort of develop a, a relationship with a, a foundation of snark. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think that after having seen Spider-Man and seeing the way he mentors uh, Peter Parker, I kind of get the feeling that I don't know that him and Pepper, if they even get married ever. Um, are ever going to have kids, but he definitely finds these um, kids that are are like um, children of his mind kind of thing, mm-hmm. and, and he connects with them, and then he wants to mentor them. And I, I think that's a, a, an aspect of Tony Stark that is, I, I think Robert Downey Jr. has added a certain level of something to that character to make him stronger that way. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, I almost felt like, in a way, he was giving Spider-Man a lot of toys. You know, it's kind of like that absentee father that replaces his affection with toys. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have the infection. Yeah. And and he does have the discipline. I mean, he does step into discipline when necessary, which is what a father is. That The father is supposed to be the disciplinarian. So that was yeah, and good. And when he does it, you're like, who is this guy and what <laughs> happened to Tony Stark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he did it. Robert Downey Jr. I think played it perfectly for Tony Stark's uh, established character, mm-hmm. um, and I think it actually provided a lot of growth on the Stark character uh, mm-hmm. as, almost as much as it did on on the Peter Parker character. Yeah, and I really felt like he was passing on advice that he had learned himself at some point. Um, especially, you know, the the line where he says, "If if you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have it." Mm. And going back to Iron Man three, having just seen that. He had to learn the lesson himself that he had to be able to operate as Tony Stark and that he had to have some reliance on who he was with outside of the techno gadgetry. Yeah. And I think that that aspect of the wisdom he learned in Iron Man 3, he was passing on to Spider-Man. But at the same time, I think it's funny because he's the one that gave Spider-Man all the gadgets. Yeah. I don't know if this is urban legend or not, but uh, you've heard it said that if you if you uh, if you help a chick out of an egg, they'll die, or if you help a, mm-hmm. a caterpillar out of its chrysalis or a butterfly out of its chrysalis, it it, it won't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much. Um, we'll have to have somebody who's a biologist come in and yeah, and tell us whether that's true or not. But that's sort of like what what he's doing here mm-hmm. too. 
And you have to admit that part of it is Spider-Man being too smart for his own good, he and his friend, because um, they take the training wheels off the suit. Yeah. <laughs> they literally remove the training wheel protocol. protocol yes. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, the last figure that uh, that I think presented as a parental role, uh, and this is for Peter, too, was the villain played by Michael Keaton. Uh, the villain Adrian Toomes, mm-hmm. and this was the huge reveal of the movie. And I, I even hesitate to say it now because it was such a shocker. Everyone while you're here has it. seen the movie. You um, can you can reveal it, though. I disagree with you on this aspect, but yeah, go ahead. So there are a number of scenes, both when he is uh, talking to uh, Adrian Toomes in his vulture hideout. Um, which actually has a name, but I don't remember what it's called. The and, Roost? No. <laughs> <laughs> the Roost. Um, and uh, when later on he meets Adrian Toomes as Shocker, the father of Peter Parker's love interest. When he goes to pick up Liz for the prom, the vulture answers the door and and everybody in the theater gasp. Mm-hmm. And my initial thought was, oh, no, he figured out what's going on and he's there to, to you know, fight him. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, what, what is he doing? He lives there? <laughs> but anyway. And I don't know how conservative our listening audience is. And I know that um, there are some sects of Christianity who have real problems with interracial marriage. And I don't personally, I don't have an issue with that. But I think that's where some of the shocker comes from in this because oh. um, Liz is obviously black or mulatto, however you would phrase that. So having a white father when he opens the door, I think, added to the shock because you were not yeah. expecting a white man to answer the door at her house. The fact that they were interracially married never even occurred to me, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, it makes sense given the casting now. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And her um, mother was black and his her father was white. And that to me, um, I think added to the shock value because I was expecting a black family. And mm. so when he answers the door, um, I think that added to the sh- to that, you know, that reaction that you had is like, what's yeah. he doing in this house? You know? So back to his uh, fatherly advice, there there are a number of scenes where he actually imparts invi- advice to Peter, either Peter as Spider-Man or Peter as the young man courting his daughter, or <laughs> even Peter as the alter ego to Spider-Man who has just been found out. He is doling out advice like he is a father. and yeah, a father of Liz, maybe. Well, it, you know, it... Father, father figure. Yeah, a father figure. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Well, he's definitely a father figure because family is very important to him. It's a very important part of his character. It's, yeah. Um, I don't. I, I disagree with you that he's fathering Peter in any way because the kind of advice that he's doling out is, "Don't you dare touch my daughter or make her unhappy." That kind of advice. Yeah. And then when he finds out that he's Spider-Man, I think it's more of a. Uh, this obnoxious kid is the one that's getting in my way and let me just <laughs> warn him off kind of thing because it was all i mean when once he knew it was he was talking to spider-man it was all a, a threat and a very very subtly hidden threat you know if you yeah 
And so, yeah, I disagree with you that he was a parenting figure for Peter. He was definitely a parenting figure, though. I guess that, that leads into the question that uh, that I feel like they were asking with this was uh, Peter's parents are dead, mm-hmm. missing or, you know, whatever. So what really defines a parent? Aunt May is clearly his parent. Yes. Uh, Aunt and May I'm sure is Uncle his mom. Ben was, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Tony Stark, he, he's clearly taking on a father role here. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is parent just about taking responsibility and loving and caring for, or is it more than that? Well, obviously it's more than that. It's in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, it's kind of the go-to verse when it comes to parenting. Yeah. And it seems like a promise that is oftentimes negated because of the fact that you train up your child and then when they get old and they get tired of you and they think you don't know anything anymore and they go their own Mm. way and you're like wait a minute didn't i train them up right uh this is the hardest one to do too i Mm -hmm. mean and i think there's a gap after the semicolon train up a child on the way he should go and even when he is old he will not depart from it but there's a there's a big gap between uh when you're done training up the child and when he's old yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he'll come back yeah. around to it later in life. Yeah. Um the the interesting thing about that is is that we have a picture in scripture um especially in the New Testament of adoption and fostering because that's what we, we all at, when we're in Christ we are adopted into the family of God. Mm-hmm. And when when you brought up this question of what really defines a parent, I I have a lot of friends now who are really into fostering and are bringing in these troubled young kids that, you know, they can't find families because they've had such bad beginnings. Yeah. And I think as Christians that it it really is important for us, especially if we have a stable marriage and a, a stable home life to bring kids in and help them and, and to be the kind of mentors that can help them get off on the right foot. And I think that Peter is a very good example of this, as I mentioned earlier, the way he behaves, the way he interacts with people is a reflection of how he was raised. And that either is Aunt May or it's Uncle Ben or whatever he remembers of his parents. But we all reflect the way we're raised. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a blood parent to do to do that. It just has to be mm-hmm. somebody that the, the child or the young person respects enough to allow to be in that parenting role. In the case of Tony Stark, definitely respects Tony Stark. Yeah. And he really, really wants to impress Tony Stark. So having Tony shoved into the role of parent, of father in this case, it works on both ends because Peter wants him to be a father. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Stark does play into it too. Mm-hmm. Even if he's very absent. I mean, he kind of throws him at happy and walks away, but he's still paying attention. And that's the important thing. Um, this was something that I really saw it's kind of epic to Spider-Man, but his uh, Adrian Toomes as a villain is a very sympathetic character because you're introduced to him in the beginning of the movie. He's a salvager and he's taken a city contract to salvage all of the alien material after the Battle of New York in the Avengers. And mm-hmm. and then I guess this rich organization formed between the government and Tony Stark Department of Damage Control, um, yeah, called yeah. the da- Department of Damage Control, basically shoves him out. And he's overextended himself. He's put a lot of money into setting up the salvage operation, and he loses it all. So he has good reasons for doing what he's doing. And 
it makes him very sympathetic. But as you see him progress through the movie, you see that he's doing wrong things. And it's this really slippery slope that just he he pretty much slides down really rapidly in the movie. Mm hmm. Sort of like a glide slope. Yeah, exactly. Um, he actually murders one of his henchmen, and it, he uh, makes that it, was an accident. He though. makes it sound like it was an accident, but he didn't show a whole lot of remorse <laughs> about it. So, uh, accident or not, he he didn't really care. And yeah. I think that the question that came to my mind was: Is it ever right to do wrong, or doing? Is there ever uh, we're doing wrong? is justified for the right if you're doing it for the right reasons because yeah adrian toombs is doing wrong to support his family because as i mentioned in our last little bit we were talking about he is a very much a family man and it's all about taking care of his family and and being there for the ones who depend on him he says it multiple times in the movie that Mm -hmm. it's that that is his motivating factor and we know that his his family's doing pretty well because Early on, we see Liz throwing this very extravagant party at her house, and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there, there, there's Bunny there, and and he's obviously not just providing; he's providing very well. And wherever that led him from the eight years ago when when he got kicked off the salvage operation and was overextended, um, obviously doing wrong is paying very well. But he's a villain, so we know that what he's doing wrong is supposed to be wrong even though he has good motivations for doing it. And then Peter does some wrong things, too. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not sure that it, it really impresses itself on the viewer because it's Spider-Man and he's chasing a villain. He has good motivations. He's in a suburb. He doesn't have big, tall buildings to swing off of. So how is he going to chase this villain? He he runs through a couple fences, at least. Yeah. And then he steals a car. Oh, well, yeah, there, uh, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> he went all Batman voice on him. <laughs> Give me your car. Give me your car. Yeah. And then he wrecks it because he doesn't know how to drive. Yeah, should have thought of that before he <laughs> took the car. <laughs> and it's very small theme, but we are talking Christian worldview here. It's like, yep. when is it okay to do bad things or break the law? And when are... When did the motivations, what is it, two wrongs don't equal a right? How many uh, rights does it take to justify a wrong? Mm, none. <laughs> I, I, there are no number of rights that justify a wrong. Mm-hmm. This is actually a discussion that I've had with my pastor a number of times because there are, there are times in the Old Testament where um, it appears that lying gets the Old Testament figures out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... Uh, Jericho with the two spies, mm-hmm. and then there's there's David where he pretends to be a madman, mm-hmm. and uh, it, I had a discussion with my pastor uh, Jeff Elliott about whether or not God was condoning lying, and he made a, a strong argument for strategic lies. <laughs> uh, that is that is to say, uh, it is not it's not wrong when you're on the battlefield. And you deceive the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he was drawing the line, and I would—I'm not completely, utterly convinced, but uh, lacking, you know, the knowledge and the the detail to to go any further. Um, I I'm okay with it. It's uh, this tr- this type of strategic thing is yeah, is it's acceptable. Some, it's something that I've struggled with too myself because it's like 
um, when do, uh, you know, there's a, there's a passage in the new Testament that refers to that some have entertained angels unaware. And it's like, if they entertained angels and they didn't know they were angels, then that means the angels deceived them by presenting themselves as not angels. And is there something that is necessarily deceptive? Cause Satan's the father of lies, not God. And so mm-hmm. is it, when is deception not deception? And so I, I, I'm with you on that. I've struggled with that and I don't have a good answer. So if, yeah. if anybody wants to um, chime in on that, I'd, I'd uh, love to hear some, some discussion on that. It's, it's an interesting topic because like you said, there is deception in, presented both in the old and the new and so it's like when is it you know when is it right yeah and you know one of the things that peter does uh wrong here i'm putting wrong in quotes yeah uh, for lack of any better way to to put it uh is that he hides his identity as Mm spider-man from from everyone including um including aunt may Mm mm-hmm and, um, and and his best friend only knows because well, <laughs> <laughs> Peter's goofed. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Coming in across the ceiling, trying to sneak in to avoid Aunt May. Okay, uh-huh. and, yep. Uh huh. And yeah, you know it, it's it has been made as a point in comic books, uh, probably since comic books started, and secret ident- secret identity started that. Uh, you keep the secret identity to protect the people around you. Right. Right. And, uh, or at least that is one of the effects. So it, it really is a question of whether or not the secret identity and the lies that you have to tell to maintain it is a net good or net bad. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know what my gut says is that when we feel like we need to lie, to achieve a good, then we are not trusting in God. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's probably too much to ask for superhero stories. <laughs> but in real life, I feel like it shouldn't be, even though it is a, a huge, huge expectation. I think that there must be instances where deception is not deception, where you don't tell everything. Where you just right. keep some stuff to yeah. yourself. It's like withholding information is not deception. Let's put it that well, way. Yeah, people people have security clearances. Yeah, they, uh, they can't talk about all kinds of. I did stuff in the army. I'm, I'm still not allowed to talk yeah. about. Yeah, so exactly. I, I think that maybe in in some situations you allow somebody to um, make the get the wrong conclusion. You didn't actually tell them that, but that you allow mm-hmm. them to make the wrong conclusion by withholding information. Um, yeah. I, I, I think there's some, definitely some fine lines in there, but you, we are definitely told not to lie. So, um, thou shalt not lie is one of the 10 commandments. Yeah. It, it does make it in the top 10, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was in Romans, uh, 13, uh, one through seven. Uh, this is, um, Paul sp- speaking to the Roman church. Of course, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist mm. will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That means, you know, governments are established to um, to discipline, basically, yep. and uh, penalize uh, bad behavior. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
for he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And then he finishes up by saying, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all that what is owed them taxes to whom what taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So it's kind of a lengthy passage, but um, one of the things that always makes me think of of that is, is you know, when we refer back to um, Christians under, um, let's say, the Nazis, um, where they were hiding the Jews from mm-hmm. the, you know, the the Nazis who were looking for them, and they were disobeying the government, but it was because the laws were telling them to do something against God's law. So it's yeah. like when, when human law conflicts with God's law, for Christians, God's law has to win. So yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up because there are instances where, um, let's, let's say, for example, you're a doctor and you're a Christian and you are told to perform an abortion. You have to say no. And yeah, I, I mean, there's just certain things that you cannot do, uh, even if you're ordered to by the government. So Christians do have that fine line to walk because we are told to respect our authorities and, and as, as, and as much as possible inside of the law of God, um, follow the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even, uh, even a, a closer to home example is uh, when a pastor has a, a, uh, a battered spouse in his office. Mm hmm. And the uh, the abuser is looking for them. The pastor, I I think they could uh, lie to the abuser with a clear conscience. Yeah, I don't. I, she's not here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, and that is a clear case where you know God's law takes precedence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to you know take that further beyond beyond that because it's not really a major theme in this movie. It was just something that. Uh, I, I've just noticed with a lot of the Spider-Man villains is that they tend to have very redeemable uh, characteristics, redeeming qualities, yeah. and that that just seems to be a hallmark. They're just not purely evil. There's always something about them that is sympathetic, and um, they usually have good reasons. I mean, yeah. uh, and I could well, go you know, through the, a whole long list of Spider-Man's villains, but we're only dealing with the vulture in this one, so. There is the, the old saying, you know, the, the villain is the hero of his own story. Yeah. And, it, you know, honestly, uh, it, I think that applies. I, I didn't think of it until just now, but that really applies to uh, to the vulture in this. Mm-hmm. He really was the hero of his own story. He was, you know, checking off all the boxes. He yeah. was providing well for his family. He was mm-hmm. keeping his men employed mm-hmm. and providing for their families. Until he kills uh, them because they get, they he picked up well, the wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, they, get, they get their comeuppance, you know, <laughs> establishing order. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> all right. The next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, how well they did the um, the growing up, the coming of age. Yeah, and we've for... already discussed this to some degree, but yeah, this is yeah. this is a, the pretty much the the biggest thing about this movie is yeah, it, Peter growing up. <laughs> and they layered it throughout the movie so well; it, it hints everywhere, even in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, homecoming is it makes makes us think back to our our high school days where uh, the most important thing was whether or not we would get asked to the prom or whether or not we would get turned down when we asked. Um, and, you know, if we could borrow dad's nice car to drive to the prom or something like that. And that, that's the, even in the movie. I mean, him asking Liz to the dance and yeah, and it was and not it, easy it, for him to do. And as, as a 40 <clears throat> something person, um, 
I look back at it now and I, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that really is not a big deal. Yeah. And coming to terms with that is it, it, not just coming to terms with that, but growing into that is something that is part of growing up. And it's, you know, I, I mentioned that Holland and Jacob Batalon, uh, who plays Ned, they really play the child well in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And both of them, uh, really all of the care, all of the team characters see uh, some level of growth mm-hmm. throughout the movie. But Peter and Ned are really the, the ones that show the most. The thing about it is, is that, you know, they're, they're, they're your typical nerds. And that's always mm-hmm. the way. I mean, Spider-Man obviously is a nerd. I mean, he had his own web shooters before Tony Stark made even really super duper yeah. ones. Power to the nerds. Yeah, power to the nerds. And, and, and you see that. But at the same time, it's very interesting to see how he is putting, uh, how he's putting the brakes on all of those relationships and things. Because he, he was obviously the nerd. He was a member of the the academic decathlon team he was he did all these after school curricular things that that he was dropping because he would rather be out there being spider-man and yeah. and you get the sense this is you know we're back to the timing on this that he hasn't been doing this very long because yeah um people are point. people yeah. are wondering you know why is he suddenly so absent from all of these activities but you know, we, we think of these activities as being character builders, and I wonder sometimes whether it just allows kids to get stuck in a rut instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's they really showed that the uh, the crossing over from childhood to uh, to young adulthood well in the movie, in my opinion. Um, it's the 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 element of. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, they were putting together a Lego Death Star, which has something like 8,030 pieces or, or whatnot. <laughs> That's actually how Ned finds out about yeah. <laughs> Peter Parker's alter ego. Because Peter was uh, listening, paying attention to something completely other than Ned when Ned said he was mm-hmm. going to come over with, and bring the Death Star over. And so he did not know that Ned was going to be waiting for him in his bedroom when he got home because he wasn't paying yeah. attention to his friend. And um, so... Yeah, and then he spidey crawled across the ceiling, which is kind of hard to say. I didn't really do that. You didn't see that. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised he kept the Death Star in his hands that long, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, that level of Legos, it's it's really getting into the uh, maybe you want to be an engineer level. Yeah. And yeah. then it, they get into and the And obviously Peter and... is already an engineer. And I think Ned's already kind yeah. of like computer geeks. So they kind of already have their niches. But yeah. 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 But I really felt that they did a, a good job with uh, with growing into an adult. And uh, there's there's not a lot of scriptures that, that speaks to this specifically. But one that came to mind was 1 Corinthians 13 11. Uh, when I was child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the the creative team behind Spider-Man: Homecoming is demonstrating: is the taking the step, the first little step across that bridge of giving up the childish ways. And and it's amazing because he learns a lesson that I'm not even sure Tony was trying to teach him. Because he worships Tony Stark and he wants to be an Avenger so bad through the whole movie. He's like calling Happy mm-hmm. constantly, you know, giving reports and when can I be sent on a mission? And 
I almost feel like Tony was forced into this because Spider-Man rescued, you know, all of his things in that plane. Um, yeah. He he decides to go ahead and, and make the public step of making Spider-Man an Avenger and Peter turns it down because he's matured enough to have his priorities straight, to get his priorities yeah, he, straight. He knows he's got more growing to do. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's put in there, obviously, for that effect, but I thought it was a good effect. Yeah. And to be honest, it's like, granted, I haven't read all of the comics out there, but it seems to me that Spider-Man is never a permanent member, member of the Avengers. He he comes in and does missions with them, but it's not... He has been. Yeah. Okay. But Yeah. He it, And, it, you know, it comes back to that there have been uh, Avenger team after Avenger team after Avenger yeah. team in, in the Marvel Universe, and it's infinite worlds and all that. You know, it's sort of hard to follow. Yeah. I just really feel like Spider-Man's character is more of a, this is my neighborhood, I'm going to take care of it. Less yeah, interested, it's a friendly neighborhood. Yeah, Spider-Man. exactly. And and I think that they they allowed him to come back to that at the end because he was so wanting to branch out and be a member of the team. And 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 I think he was really trying to win Tony Stark's approval. And then Tony Stark gives his approval by inviting him publicly into the Avengers, and he turns it down. And then he has yeah. the gumption. I love it. He turns around and says, "That was a test, wasn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> When when Stark said yes, I was sure it was not a test. <laughs> and we found out that it wasn't. They actually had the press the press their waitings. That's one uh, last comment on the on the growing up thing. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to bring in Psalm twenty five seven. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Mm-hmm. And that really, for me, that speaks to um the importance of learning uh not just learning right and wrong mm-hmm. but learning how to live right and how to avoid living wrong mm-hmm. and that is in spider-man uh the scene under the rubble mm-hmm. it really is their turning point for peter parker um where he comes to understand the rightness of being the hero outside of the suit. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is kind of a, a more of a humanistic standpoint that you have to rely on yourself. Mm. But we know that that what makes us superheroes is Christ. So we don't yeah. rely on, on our own strength. We rely on God. But in this instance, it, it's more of where he, he learns that he can do it himself. And mm-hmm. he he needs to quit being the whiny teenager that's crying for help. And he doesn't have the suit that's going to, to get him out of, you know, drowning in a uh, parachute like earlier in the show. Yeah. Yeah, he had to get out of that one. That that scrap he had to get out on all on his own. And I, I believe we'll put in the show notes. I, I found somebody's vlog on YouTube where she details all of the Easter eggs in this movie. And mm-hmm. and that scene where he is lifting himself up out of the rubble is is an Easter egg. And I'm not conversant enough in the Spider-Man Milu to be able to explain it. So you'll have to watch that video to see why it, uh, why it is important. From it, it's a replicate uh, replication of a scene from the comic book. You're thinking, yeah, yeah. Is that the the reference? You're yeah. And they yeah, said that it, it was also done in in Civil War as well, but to a lesser extent. Hmm. But yeah, I'll, we'll put that in the show notes so you can watch. It's, yeah. It was very entertaining to watch all the Easter eggs because I, I had no clue most yeah. of those were in there. Marvel, Marvel is a master. Marvel is the Easter Bunny. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I mean, the number of eggs that they put in uh, in their films. Wow. Mm-hmm. You, you really you really have to get it on DVD and and practically go scene by frame scene. by frame. Yeah, catch all the stuff <laughs> and, in the and, background and yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Like in the the collectors in the is it the collector in the Guardians of the Galaxy that last scene mm-hmm. uh, where it has the space dog and Howard the Duck. Uh-huh. And all that. Yeah. And then before we move on to the next topic. Uh, I just wanted to point out the fact that um, Peter is the ethical hero. And I know this this comes under where we're talking about, you know, kids and stuff. But um, one of the things that really stood out to me in the movie was when they took the training wheels protocol off. His suit kept wanting to go into kill mode. And he was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to kill anybody. And mm-hmm. and that was – and to me, that's not even a maturity thing. I don't think we should ever uh, mature to the level where life is no longer important to us. Peter is responding, I think, like any good, well-brought-up young man would be a definite aversion to hurting anyone. So it is it is kind of a kiddish reaction, but it's one that I think is uniquely suited to Spider-Man because I don't believe he's ever, in any of his iterations, been a killer. He's always been apprehend. Mm. And, and I could be wrong That's, on that, too. I know he's gone I, bad I a predict, few times. I predict that this is actually going to play into... If not the next Spider-Man movie, then the one after that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your note in here makes me think of soldiers and and policemen where they don't want, yeah, the good ones anyway. Yeah, they don't want to kill either. Right, but sometimes they are sometimes, they have, sometimes they have forced to. into it. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think that I think that is a element that they're going to uh, touch on in uh, Spider-Man's growth as a as an adult and a hero in a future that he'll um, probably have to come across a situation where, yeah. And, and, and there's growth in that too. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, I think that that was, and that was something that stood out in the movie. I wanted to mention it briefly anyway, cause that, I th- yeah. that was very important. They made such a big deal about, you know, the, the kill him trying to, to turn that feature off. <laughs> and he never wanted to turn it on, which is, uh, refreshing. Yes. Okay, so the last thing, and and uh, this isn't uh, as big a one for me, and we've already talked about some of it, mm-hmm. is that uh, Spider-Man, for uh, as long as I've been familiar with it, from the the early seventies uh, with the Electric Company, and I'll throw a a YouTube video in the show notes. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. But you know, it wasn't in the Garfield movies either. No, it wasn't phrased that way. You you were not my co-host then, but when we did our review of it, that came into a great deal of our discussion was the fact that that phrase was not in that movie either. Hmm. Okay. All right. And we'll uh, put and the so link anyway, to that discussion in our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. We should we should definitely link to the uh, the previous one. Um, so uh, it, it's a staple in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Right? It, it's Everybody a staple lesson. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's never actually said out loud in this one, but it, it is implied particularly with, uh, with Stark's, uh, insistence that if you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have the suit. To me, that always lends the question in, in this fantastical world of super powered people. If you are, if you find that you have a power, if you're gifted with a power, I think that you have the responsibility to use it to the best of your ability. I think that you have you you treat it like any spiritual gift or any talent where you are to use it for God's glory. Uh and in the case of uh of Spider-Man, 
if he found that he had gained these powers specifically just completely by accident and then didn't do anything with it, I think he would be wrong. And I think that's the whole I think that's the uh, the whole driving force behind that, you know, great power comes great mm-hmm. responsibility quote. I went and looked it up. It's um in in the Garfield the amazing Spider Man Garfield movie, it's um if you it sounds like a Garfield, wasn't it? But no, um, Andrew Garfield, <laughs> the amazing Lasagna. Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, if you can do good things for other people, you have a moral responsibility to do it, was the way yeah. it was phrased in that movie. And it, you know what? It, it probably wasn't exactly that way in, in the original Spider-Man comic back in 62 uh, either. But, you know, the, the concept. <laughs> yes. The concept, the concept is all there. The concept was there, yes. And uh, it, um, I went looking specifically for scripture that, that uh, spoke to this and – uh, Romans twelve six to eight came up, uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. Mm-hmm. If service in our serving, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does act of mercy acts of mercy with cheerfulness, and uh, it. it it really does mean that uh, that we should be using all the tools at our disposal, all the gifts that we have been provided, to achieve the chief end of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll excuse the uh, shorter catechism answer, that's um, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, even even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that applies. Yes. Well, God gives us gifts for a reason. I mean, it, he's gifted us um, with a purpose and a task. And I always have liked to think that I'm using mine for a good reason. But yeah, but yeah, I think in, in a lot of instances, fantasy, which is what superhero fiction is, mm-hmm. is a way of blowing out of proportion um, so that you can see it and explore it better, um, what it is that we are gifted to do and yeah. how we are supposed to use those gifts. And granted, I mean, whatever God has gifted us with, if we're not using it, that that thing is atrophying and it's and it's wasting away and God gave it to us to use it. And that's why I love science fiction so much, because it allows you to take aspects of humanity and blow them out into a um, a higher proportion so that you can explore them in depth. And Spider-Man definitely fits himself well to that. Mm hmm. I think we pretty much discussed this as much as we can without having the DVD here to like mind quotes from because yeah. there were a lot of quotes that I completely missed because I got so absorbed in the movie. I <laughs> forgot to take notes. Now that we've done the recording, I'm going to go back and watch it again so yes, I can sit I actually, and watch it and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to go see it again. Uh, there was another link I'm going to put in the show notes that I stumbled on while I was um, looking for Spider-Man stuff. I consider it the best product placement endorsement I've ever seen. <laughs> And there was a product endorsement in Spider-Man. I think most people didn't notice it, but then they turned that into a commercial um, in which Peter learns how to drive in a special edition uh, pre-release Audi um, that Tony Stark let him borrow. And it is a, an adorable commercial. So uh, the, I recognize the, the instructor, the driver's ed instructor. Oh, J.B. Smoove. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's great. If you haven't seen it, you go click on the link in our show notes because yeah. uh, it is hilarious. It's great to watch. Um, I'm not going to spoil it or ruin it or anything. You just have to, it's it's a commercial for Audi, but it's it's um, a really fun commercial. Yeah, 
So, yes, the show notes for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 72. And uh, we encourage you to call us with feedback, 903-231-2221. You can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Send us a message uh, from our show notes page if you want. Um, we, we do appreciate um, your feedback on Facebook because we do have a Facebook page and a discussion group. And I wanted to warn all our listeners, if you haven't like completely shut off the podcast and left at this point, I am uh, in the process of rebranding Are You Just Watching, which is going to be a new logo, a new intro, new outro, um, all of that stuff. I don't know when I'm going to release it yet. Trying to get some feedback from our network host as well as Tim, because he's important. And Thank you. <laughs> what I would love is to get listener feedback as well. So if you come and join our discussion group on Facebook, I will be uh, asking the advice of people in that discussion group. Uh, as I progress with this rebranding, uh, Are You Just Watching has been around since 2009, and it has not changed. It has changed very little, in fact. Mm. And uh, podcasting has grown a lot since 2009. So we're kind of old school sure now. And yeah. so we're going to be rebranding and I would love to have people's input on that. So uh, please come and join our discussion group and it, you you will have to ask to join and we will have to allow you in because it's a private group. Um, just look for, are you just watching? Um, just those words, are you just watching on Facebook and you should be able to find us and we'll put a link in the show notes as well. So do come join us, please. We do Join talk in the discussion. Definitely. Yeah, we'd love to have some discussion about what we talked about here in there as well. So not just the branding. Come join us. And I think that's all we have. Um, yep. I, I believe I, I will tell you this. Uh, Tim and I have both discussed the amazing reviews uh, that Wonder Woman is getting. Mm. And we both of us failed to see it in the theater. Uh, just, you know, our schedules didn't work or whatever. And we already had two podcasts in the queue. Uh, during the time that Wonder Woman was in the theater. And so we have decided that between the two of us that we will wait till that comes out on DVD and do a full, um, you know, deep discussion on Wonder I Woman. That'll probably be a two-parter. Yeah, I'm sure. I, though I haven't seen the movie, I don't know. But everybody just keeps raving about how good it is. So uh, stay tuned. Make sure you have subscribed. Um, do, and you can do that on iTunes that's the best place and if you go to iTunes and subscribe make sure you rate and review us as well because we need some fresh reviews in iTunes yes please um, definitely keep tuning in because we are going to do Wonder Woman and I know I promised the uh, arrival too I don't know whether we'll ever actually get to that one though because <laughs> it's kind of falling off, falling off of our list but thank you so much for listening I'm Eve Franklin I'm Tim Martin don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.